Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. My guests today are Michael Nitschke, the State Director of MaxCap in Queensland, Kent Lester, the Managing Director of KDL Property. Welcome, gentlemen, to the podcast. Thank you, Nelson. Thanks, Nelson. Ken, um, Michael is a returning guest, so our listeners know who he is. But since you're a new guest joining our podcast, do you mind giving us a quick introduction of yourself? Yeah, no problem, uh, Nelson. Look, we're um, we're based in Broadbeach, KDL Property Group in southeast Queensland. Here, we've been around since 2012. Um, our as our business has evolved um, over that time, we've been in the property development space. We've found our niche to be in the development of sort of medium-sized land estates. Right. Um, these are typically either in greenfield areas or, or infield suburbs where, where it permits. And we sort of find that most of our projects now sit in the range of that 150 to 350 lot uh, range. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, we are focusing heavily in the Logan and Moreton Bay regions. We've got four projects currently under construction. Our, our land and homes are typically aimed for sort of first-home buyers, second-home buyers, young families or investors. Right. Well, I guess that's a perfect introduction and perfect segue into what our our discussions will be today, which is particularly a focus on the Queensland market. So um, I'll let you guys decide who wants to go first, but can one of you give me a recap or just a sort of what's what's been happening in the market in Queensland over the past year? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I'll, I'm happy to kick off and then pass over to, to Michael. Look, uh, sure. It's been an interesting year, uh, a challenging year, coming off um, the back of the, the, the challenges that we've had prior to that also. Um, mm-hmm. The prior sales activity for us in our group through the industry has been a little bit up and down. Um, obviously, we've been heavily impacted by the interest rate rises. Um, the, the RBA has... Uh, been nice enough to give us 13 rate rises in the last eight months. <laughs> yes. Um, and that, that has impacted sales considerably for, for our industry. I know for our group, between October last year and April this year, sales were very subdued, um, but they did start to pick up again through the May-June uh, period. And I think that's probably due to um, a little bit more normality coming back and consistency and what we're expecting. Um We've seen a drop off in sort of first home buyer inquiry, but investors um, have come back. Although we have had a recent announcement, obviously by the Queensland government, of um, raising the first home buyer grant. So we're hoping that will um, increase some activity from the first home buyer um, area. Mm-hmm. Um, construction industry from our side is has been interesting. Also, uh, we've had a great year weather wise. Um, compared to last year, which was very, very wet and, and delayed destruction across a number of, of sites, which, which did impact on things. Um, this year's been, been quite good in, in that area. Um, we've also seen some reprieve in, in the escalations of costs for construction. We're starting to see a little bit of normality um, come through there. And, and you know, there's been more willingness, certainly from, from contractors and trades, to, to tender for jobs um, and, and get back on site as well, which is which is nice to see. Um, planning approvals is still our biggest challenge and has been 
uh, for the last 12 months. There's, uh, we'll probably talk, touch on that a little bit later, but there is um, yeah. certainly some pressures around that in our industry. Um, and that, that obviously contributes to, to land supply. Uh, and again, that pushes into you know vacancy rates and rental demand, which we've seen to be really, really tight in the last uh, 12 months, particularly. Absolutely, it's a topic that's been um, very much discussed, but not just in Queensland, but everywhere around Australia, um, on just the uh, yeah tight supply and oh lack of supply and rent, tight rental market. Um, Michael, I want to hear also sort of your perspective or your recap on what's been happening uh, from the lending side in the uh, market over the past 12 months. Yeah, it's you know, I would say it's absolutely been challenging environment um it's probably mixed to be honest you've got some really positive underlying trends that you touched on in terms of supply if you're a developer in the market at the moment with projects underway then it's a really positive environment because you're developing into markets that are going to have acute levels of undersupply going forward so so that's obviously a positive for them it's a positive if you're a landlord and you're in the rental market you know, vacancies of you know all, all time lows and rents are you know steadily um, improving your yield, so there's some positives and in you know, no tailwinds of migration um, into Queensland, and particularly Queensland, they're still there, they're still very strong. So there is, so there's a positivity there, and obviously that's driving opportunity. Yes. The challenge, the challenge has been is the inflationary impact, and that's you know, against touched on interest rates. That's that's one of the key drivers domestically, uh, and and globally. Obviously, the yields have gone up globally, but and then construction costs have. Have continued to a point. Now, I agree in terms of there has been, uh, let's say it's, it's come off in terms of the amount of escalation. There still is escalation, and speaking to you know, major sort of QS firms and builders, in particularly for built form, um, yes. they're still looking at some escalations and not sort of the one to two percent per month that was sort of going through the system over the last 18 months, but they're still expecting there is maybe it's half a percent, but they're not calling it flat uh, at the moment. So they're still absolutely seeing escalation going forward. So that continues to be a challenge because um, both of those things have really impacted feasibilities of the built form. Uh, and that obviously then leads to you know, supply, which we're talking about both across land and um, and built form housing. So so those, those continue to be a challenge. It, there's still huge opportunity because we do have this massive undersupply uh, and still demand for our, what is being delivered. Um, so we'll, I guess we'll get to it as we go through, but in terms of, yeah, un, it's a positive feel. We've got the growth issues, I've heard that term a number of times. There's a lot more people who want to be in Queensland. It's, um, we're just working through exactly how we deliver all the products and that's, that's been a challenge for last year. Hmm. I think, you know, this is the, you both touched on that, it's about the costs and it's been something that has been discussed across Australia as well, not just in Queensland. So in terms of, you know, civil costs and material costs, construction costs, how is the market adapting to that? Um, and what sort of, how are developers, builders working around this, um, you know, whilst this remains a huge uh, uh, sort of challenge and hurdle for the, for the industry? Yeah, Nelson, it certainly is a challenge for the industry. And I think uh, the best way to answer that at the moment from our experience is you having to work more hand-in-hand with your with your construction partners now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, typically uh, developers would be tendering projects um, out there 
you know, working with timeframes and budgets and and cost structures to to work on the best outcome. But these days, um, you know, it's it's actually more about ensuring supply of materials, um, working with a contractor who has the capacity to deliver for you, um, and and actually a contractor who um, uh, yeah can can have the resources on site when they need to as well. So it's I think what we've found in in the last year to 18 months is working closer with more partnership type model with with construction teams to um to ensure delivery of projects in a timely manner that's that's and that's probably something i think will that will move towards a bit more permanent sort of structure and the way um developers deliver projects mm. and with the these costs um what with you know in the market right now compared to 12 months ago what are what are, the, what are they looking like? Has it stabilised, or are we expecting it to increase or decrease? Where do we think it's going to go? Well, I'm happy to in my space, and I guess in the in the yep. horizontal in the land land market, um, we are seeing them stabilise to some degree and reach some level of normality now. Yep. Now that level of normality now is quite different from what it was um, a year or two ago, but. Uh, I guess there's a little bit more confidence in um, the stability of that, and and the, I guess the um, the risk of of massive escalations is waning to some degree, which is nice. Uh, it gives you a little bit more confidence to to get in and out of projects, you know, in, in a suitable time frame with with uh, I guess a lesser risk of um, major cost escalations. That, that may be different in the, in the built form, which mm. I'll, I'll touch on. But um, in our space, we certainly seen uh, I guess more confidence in the in the tenders coming through uh, and and potentially less um, a little bit less risk going forward for that yeah Michael so from your side in the financier how are you dealing or how are financiers dealing with their partners when it comes to uh, the costs yeah well it still is there is still some escalation in that particularly for you know, construction and steel uh, two of the two of the main um, I guess the materials that we're still seeing some level of escalation, a little bit of volatility in that pricing. Mm-hmm. So, so there is still some in there in terms of how both developers and finances are dealing. We're looking at a, a number of projects where um, it becomes more of a, an ECI process, which is this, you know, early contractor involvement where you start. It's almost closer to an open book tender process rather than it being just here's your tender price and itemise. They actually work mm-hmm. through, um, and that's to get that's just to generate a higher level of confidence around the project and where cost escalation might come in the future uh, through the through the term of it. So, so we are seeing that as a way of working through processes. You know, that's all the value management, all of those sort of things are essentially discussed and worked through up front. Um, so, so that's providing a level of confidence with the developer that you know, they, they have enough Contingency, and that's, and I guess from a financial perspective, that's what you're working through as well. It's we, we understand that you can't lock in everything given there is still escalation because we see that that yes. gets pushed on, and you see a lot of you know, there has been a number of instances, you know, very public ones where major um, builders and, and major subbies have, have gone under as a result of taking on all of that risk. So, so that ECI process is one that we're seeing is, is the most um, beneficial at the moment. You're both, you know, in terms of, and that is. Um, Typically, larger builders are doing that, and larger builders who have the, the access to a broad range of trades and are able to essentially run it, still run it in the process. 
Maxcap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. What is a, What does it look like right now for the financial positions of the major subcontractors? It's been, well, I think Kent can talk to it as well, but in terms of, it's, it's been a really challenging 12 months and probably really two years, to be honest, because you look at, we're now in an environment when we've seen all of this happen, so it's not a shock as much as, you know, it's how do we deal with it? Yes. Two, two years ago, that there was, you know, we had seen that there was escalation coming, but to have been, you know, 30 and 40% in certain trades and certain materials, was not what anyone was really forecasting or trying to to um, to strategize around. Mm. So that anyone who's locked something in you know, during that really you know, um, high escalation period, it's put a lot of stress on because you know they're most likely you know, a lot of those contracts are underwater in terms of by the time they go and try and let um, those those trades, then it's a, we've seen a lot of contractors that would have lost money during that period. Now they're hopefully. Um, the majority that are still going around, we're yeah, obviously trying to be as supportive as, as possible around that to, to try and get them through. Um, and but, but it is a time now where um, the, the, I guess there's been a lot of shock for the last two years. Mm. Um, earlier, Kent, you touched on the interest rate rises that we've had in obviously post-COVID. We've had now, I think, 13 or so. Um, and you said that has impacted um, the the demand for property or from buyers. Um, the, currently, the RBA looks like it might increase rates more next year rather than uh, decrease, which is what economists were uh, forecasting earlier this year before the inflation rates came in, uh, sorry, inflation figures came in. Um, what do you think, it, it, will it continue to impact uh, the decision-making for home buyers? Um, it, or do they sort of have an expectation that, you know, I have to enter the market, the interest rates were never going to stay at 1% forever or, or that, you know, historical low forever. So what will that do? That sort, sort of, uh, you know, perception that interest rates might continue to go up next year. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. the, the interest rate rises have certainly impacted heavily on those that borrowed um, at, at low rates and, and, you know, potentially may have geared um, higher than they would have. Um, and of course, you know, when, when you have 13 interest rate rises in a very short space of time, you know, some people's um, some people's mortgage payments have doubled or, 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 or more. Mm. Um, so it, it's it's a real impact on households. Um, there is a challenge for the RBA. I mean, we've, we haven't touched on population growth yet, but you know, there's yes. a huge number of new immigrants entering the country at the moment. And, and that that's you know, they're spending, that fuels inflation as well. And the RBA is using, you know, rate rises as this tool to try and keep inflation under control. Um, and I guess the, the negative part of that is it, it hits these, the homeowners there you're pretty hard. Um, first home buyers is probably the, the, the segment of the market that gets hit the hardest for, for when these rate rises take place. And, you know, that, that's sad because that's you know, part of the Australian dream and, Everyone wants to get yeah. their own home, um, and you know uh, it's certainly a big, big part of the market. And there are other incentives going around, like the Queensland government's 
latest announcement um, recently of doubling off the first home buyer grant to 30,000. Now, whether that has an impact that entices more buyers into the market or not, yet to be seen. Um, but, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to sort of keep it all under control. I think next year will be an interesting year to see what happens in that space and to see how much it impacts that, that buying behaviour. But I, I think we saw this year after the, the range of rises that um, people wanted stability and they wanted some comfort level to say, okay, they just want to know where it stops and where, and where it's going to be and where it's going to be stable so they can just get back to, again, their level, level of normality and start to refocus about what they need to do going forward. And I, I tend to agree with some of the comments you said earlier about they, they have to make these decisions and just get on with it at some stage. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there, there may be some talks about some interest rate reductions in years to come, but um, we've all unfortunately heard um, statements about rises and, and reductions or, or rates not moving, and, and they haven't always been true, so I'm not sure, um, you know, how much we can rely on those. Absolutely. Uh, you talked about, you know, population growth, um, driving demand, and that's con that's continuing. Uh, you know, since the borders uh, reopened, we've had a lot of migrants and we need them, skilled migrants, to come back into, uh, you know, to come into Australia. Um, I want to actually look at Queensland specifically. Um, you mentioned, you know, that you've got um, projects in Moreton Bay area. Which areas of Queensland have been the most active um, can you give uh, our listeners and our readers sort of a, a, an overview of where market activity has been concentrated, where buyers are buying and where they want to live? Yeah, absolutely. I think it depends on product mix as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, our office is, is on the Gold Coast, but unfortunately we don't, we don't have any active projects on the Gold Coast because of the, the I guess, a lack of land supply around Greenfield subdivisions. But right. in the built form space and, and, and high rise, it's been extremely active here. Um, mm -hmm. And and but the the buyers and I guess the the buyer mix or the demographic is is quite different. Um, there's been some you know, the buying activity has been at, at, at the top end. Um, a lot of our projects again are at Logan, um, Jaboomba, Morton Bay, the outer ring suburbs. We focus on on first second home buyers and the younger families, and that that's been very very active. Um, mm -hmm. You know the affordability. Levels have changed in Queensland in the last couple of years, um, but we are still seeing products being, pro being produced, home and land being produced uh, at much more affordable rates in the southern states. So it's still pretty appealing. Um, but we've seen yeah, a lot of activity in those emerging community areas in, in the Moreton Bay and Logan regions for sure, and in, in the house and land space. Yeah, when you talk about relative affordability uh, compared to the southern states, like, you know, particularly with Sydney, um, what's the difference? What are we talking about if you're a first-home buyer entering the market in Queensland as opposed to, let's say, New South Wales or Victoria? Yeah, look, I'm not sure of the levels um, mm. of first-home buyer, uh, I guess, grants and, and the caps in New South Wales or Victoria, but I know in Queensland it's 750000 is mm -hmm. below as what's classified in, in the first-home buyer grant. So, you know... Um, and in, in these areas, four-bedroom house on a on a four hundred to four hundred fifty square meter block of land um, can well and surely be delivered and and uh, to a young family for seven hundred and fifty thousand or below. Mm. Um, so it's still quite an affordable product, and I guess it's also relative to the alternative at the moment, which you know, rents have risen considerably, rental rates, and 
with vacancy of rentals at an all-time low, um, it's hard for families to maintain a rental or find a new rental property as well. So that, that's there's either one or the other where people have to live. They're either renting or they're buying. So they have to sort of be weighing up what's what's the best um, product for them and the best mechanism for them too. And I still think it's reasonably affordable at that level. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. This is the other thing too, this talking about supply too, you know, we've got population growth and then coupled with the lack of supply. So it's sort of everything's uh, thrown into the whole challenging and all these different hurdles. And we've got also the federal government setting a target, you know, for I think it was 1.5 million or, or something. I can't remember now. Um, uh, homes by the end of the decade. Now, I just want to think about or think about Queensland. How do we, you know, overcome these uh, supply, uh, sorry, these hurdles to bring on this supply? And are we going to be able to meet these targets? If you look at, you know, the latest ABS statistics, approvals just continue to decline. So how are we going to lift these numbers? That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, there's... There's a number of things that need to come into play for this. And, yes. you know, the, the first things are um, state government and council, local councils need to work together to, mm-hmm. to free up land supply. Um, and, and, and when free up land, when I say free up land supply, I don't just mean, you know, rezone areas to, to enable development. There's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done around the planning approvals and the mechanisms inside you know, these departments um, and, you know, outside of local councils, we're talking water authorities as well. So, um, you know, it may not be uh, quite clear to a lot of people, but you can't just go and develop a block of land. You need to think about how you're going to connect to your sewer and your water and your power and all that sort of stuff. So there's a, yes. a bunch of different connections that need to be approved or taking place. And, you know, if you're talking about solving this issue on a large scale, um, you need to be thinking about greenfield estates and getting volume out there and uh, connecting these new estates with communities and giving them the, the amenities that they need around um, you know, transport links and hubs and things like that. You don't want to be just delivering something um, so far out and it's not connected because it won't have that feel and, and grow as a community for, for the future residents. So there's a, there's a lot of work to be done around uh, planning approvals and the timeframes to, to have estates or, or um, any sort of type of development approved at a council. Mm-hmm. Uh, we unfortunately have seen in the last 12 to 18 months that these times have blown out considerably. We're talking at least 50% longer than what it used to be. And, and you know, there's wow. probably some genuine reasons around that with, um, you know, resource. There's, there's just a lack of resource in terms of it's hard to get good planners and engineers in the council and, and working through this, they're probably a little bit under-resourced in that area, which is unfortunate. Mm. Uh, and I guess in the, the, with the water authorities, there, there's been a little bit disappointing with the lack of structure planning around um, these new areas. Uh, I think it's certainly caught those departments by surprise. Um, the rate of development uh, and the rate of growth and the lack of planning around, you know, where are these new sewer uh, connections going to come from how do we how do we unlock these precincts in these areas by providing the the infrastructure there to allow development to take place 
uh, in, in the right way. So there's going to need to be a number of things happen to, um, you know, which I guess is a combination of improvement in the planning approval process, um, better structure planning and, and growth planning for the, the uh, water authorities that actually deliver um, the infrastructure to, to these new areas. Um, and, and state and local councils working together to actually unlock and look at land around the place as well to see what what can change or what can be looked at to allow um, see the land to come on. Queen, Queensland is very very tough in that it's a highly fragmented um, land supply market. Right. An example of that is is a project that we've had recently approved in Joiner. Um, we've got. Uh, almost 340-odd lots, uh, residential lots up there. But that's a combination of 20 different pieces of land that was owned by 20 different landowners. Okay. Um, yep. You can imagine how long and <laughs> yes. uh, you know stressful the amalgamation and, and the acquisition of those parcels are to put together, um, you know, 340 um, new homes. Uh, mm. it, it take, it's really, really tough and it takes a long time. Acquisition is getting harder. Um, so, yeah, there needs to be a lot of focus in, in a number of different areas to all come together and be aligned to, to help uh, solve this land supply issue. I guess, you know, we've talked about all these different issues, um, all these different challenges, and I want to now look at the, well, obviously, the reason why I have you both on here is because we wanted to get a perspective from the financier side and from the developer side. So, MaxCap and KDL have worked together. I want to explore um, sort of what led the two groups or the two organisations to come together and what was the decision also behind, you know, KDL choosing a non-bank lender um, to finance its project and why MaxCap also chose to work with KDL. So I think... Uh, we'll go to Michael first. Michael, yeah, you want to take that? The hard questions. Um, yeah, well, this is fairly easy. I mean, in terms yeah. of yeah, our relationship, it's relatively new. It's like two to three years of um, working together. It feels a lot longer than that. And I say that in a good way. That's not yeah. negative. It's been a lot of positive outcomes so far. Uh, and in terms of Kent has just gone through um, each of their projects. It's not a straightforward project there is you know, there is a lot of lead up there's a lot of structuring there's a, a lot of hard work that they put in before it even comes to it so mm. um and from in terms of perspective around kdl and why max cap max cap would choose kdl it, you know, they're, they're the perfect client from a from a max cap's perspective in terms of they've got um great delivery um capability already that's already proven they're in yeah they're in the market they've got a, they're building a really strong reputation around what they have delivered and what they're providing to the communities that they're um, delivering into uh, and that inevitably leads to more opportunities coming because of that reputation because of their delivery capability so then all of a sudden they've got more opportunities that leads to well from a capital and, and financing perspective how can we do this efficiently and and still keep our you know our brand and do what we want to do. So that's that's where we come um, really love to work with you know really established developers who are just um, going through that growth phase. Uh, and yes. that's yeah, and that's the perfect scenario because you know we're here because to deliver that more flexible outcome. So you know if it was just as purely as on a project by project, um, that's yeah, you know, it's still it's not without um, challenge, but you know that's a very different uh, outcome than trying to deliver solutions that 
go across multiple projects and sort of deliver future outcomes. So, so that's why we chose, you know, KDL is the perfect, you know, the perfect client for us. Mm. And Michael, this is the thing I was actually reading uh, a report out of, um, I think it was the States from, from America that, you know, it's not just a trend in Australia, but we're witnessing it globally too, as the sort of the major banks sort mm. of decide that, you know, we're going to stay by the sidelines. There's the demand for the non-bank lending sector is on the rise. Um, so can you sort of touch upon that? What uh, What's the demand been like from Queensland for the uh, non, you know, for financiers such as Max Cap? Yeah, we've had, uh, it, the last few years have been, have been very strong, both from inquiry and in terms of activity. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that is, and, and it's easy to, um, to a little bit of bank fashion, but it's not, it's, you know, they're very, you know, hand, um, Conservative. <laughs> yeah, conservative and restricted by you know, regulation in terms of what, you know, because that's more than, construction is more than, uh, sorry, it's a small part of their overall business. Whereas mm-hmm. we're 100% focused on real estate financing and, and investment equity as well. So, so that's, mm-hmm. so it, it's easier for us to do that. And all in terms of when you think of our institutional investors that we have, which is essentially our, a lot of our balance sheet, they are again people who are you know, experienced in, in investing in this type. So, so to to vary you know slightly in where you start with your, I guess what would be a traditional finance um, offering to to move outside of that and actually start to to work with the client to exactly what you know what your partner actually wants mm-hmm. out of it. Um, that's really really appealing. So so it's, it doesn't. It's not a surprise that that offering is is attractive, and they actually get a lot of uh, inquiry about that. Mm. And uh, I guess that's why I will now pose the question to Ken: Is that what was the decision to partner with a financier like MaxCab? Um, can you give us sort of a, an overview of the decision making process that you went through? Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, mm. um, Similar themes to what Michael mentioned, flexibility is probably the strongest one for us um, and coupled with communication. Um, look, we, we got on really well with the team. They understood our project. They understood us. They understood uh, where we want to go as a business and they understood their phase of our business that we're in, which is, which is a growth phase. Um, you know, we've, we've got, there's more than one project on the go at one time. They understand that. Um, they can set visibility across you know, the, the business and the capital requirements of the wider group, not just the specific uh, project that they've funded. Um, yeah, and for any developer, uh, us included, recycling of capital from one project to another and the timing around that is, is critical. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, having the flexibility around, you know, the right structure um, is, is paramount and uh, and it was just a really good fit, you know, um, across the board there. So. You know, we've done, we've done a, a few projects together and I'm sure there will be plenty, plenty more uh, going forward. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Yeah, and I know you know we uh, we spent the first half of this podcast talking about the challenges, but I always like to end these things. I like to have a positive outlook for our readers and listeners in the market, and we know that you know Brisbane is hosting the Olympics, and population growth is just going from strength to strength. Um, what is your 
the outlook for the year ahead. I mean, you know, as we record the, this podcast, we're actually approaching the end of November, and I think we're only four or five weeks away from Christmas. So it's a perfect time for me to actually ask what your views are for the uh, for the year ahead, 2024. Okay, well, I've had to quickly cross out anything related to challenge or anything else. <laughs> no, no, no. Challenges is good, but I want to talk about opportunities. Where do we see yeah. things as well? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that comes from, hopefully, from stability. And I guess that's, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of things that'll be similar to this year in terms of, mm. so we've got to a point from, you know, construction costs, interest rates, things that are hopefully uh, getting towards the top um, of, where, of where they get to. Um, mm. But it's also that level of we're used to, there's not the shock. So I'm hoping that there won't be further shocks. So it is sort of something, whether it's interest rates or slight rise or costs, there's something that we can work within feasibilities and it's not going to be prohibitive on activity. Um, so that's absolutely where I hope things are at. You know, in terms of late labour market pressure, we're hearing a little bit around, um, you know, there is some easing in that. Uh, obviously, the, you know, as we work closer to um, to the Olympics, there's going to be continuing pressures. So we need to work in, keep working on that to make sure that we have sufficient supply, not only to manage the current pipeline of construction across all industries, but obviously yeah. allow for, there is going to be a ramp up. Everyone knows that. And within Queensland at the moment, there's a big, uh, well, it's coming on quite soon within the next 12 months, there's a big uh, hospital, um, there's a number of hospital projects, which are all big projects that are that are going to put that pressure on. So we need to keep working on the labour market, but hopefully, at least for the next year, there's that, that easing as we sort of work through that. And yeah, hopefully we can come up with some solutions to, to benefit in that regard. Uh, I think um, in terms of outlook, there's been a lot of discussion around, you know, affordable, um, build to rent, all of those sorts of things. Um, yes. In particularly in like high rise at the moment, there isn't a lot happening at a costing. Um, the feasibilities are really hard to make stack at the moment, but there needs to, you know, whether this it's the perfect period to actually really um, look into that, uh, into the BTR market, how it works in Southeast Queensland, what can be done to start to stimulate some um, some extra activity in that space. Um, if there's not going to be, because we do need density. Um, there's going to be particularly in Brisbane around the new hubs and things um, to, to complement the land supply. Um, so hopefully that is something that we can actually see a little bit more. And we've certainly seen some forums and some discussion groups happening at council and state level. So hopefully, hopefully they, we can start to see something in that space. Um, because we, we want to see things delivered. And at the moment, where feasibility is a challenge on a straight build to sell, uh, we need to keep producing. Obviously, we've talked about lack of supply. Um, so hopefully that is something we also see. And in terms of that being able to be delivered by private rather than just the large institutional developers, um, it would be a great outcome. Yeah, the in, when you touched on build to rent B, BTR, I know in Victoria where I, I live, um, you know, it's been a it's been a sector that has been embraced um, by a lot of developers, um, including a developer who's now doing I think a, a, the, a, Australia's first greenfield built BTR. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm keen to you know hear from Kent, uh, you know, from your perspective, is there potential for BTR for greenfield developments uh, in Queensland? Yeah, look, I, I definitely think so. This, uh, that's something um, we've been investigating for a number of years and there's 
there's plenty of case studies uh, offshore where they they run successfully, develop successfully, mm -hmm. um, particularly in the US. Um, there's this what they call horizontal um, BTR yes. or a single family rental um, mm -hmm. model. Um, there, there's a couple of things to overcome in Queensland. You know, there's there's some there's some ongoing cost of ownership for when when you're owning a number of properties at scale like that. But you know, Queensland government has been uh, quite good at starting to look at those things and find mechanisms and ways of of trying to solve some of those some of those things as well, um, and particularly in the affordable space that, that that Michael touched on. So, I think for me, one of the opportunities that I see next year is uh, potentially in a hybrid of of the horizontal BTR, but in the affordable space, right? Um, because there are some very good incentives and subsidies and models that are being developed out there by by the, the governments, you know, state and federal around um, you know, making it financially viable to have a model to, to produce uh, affordable housing on scale. Um, that's a great product, a good product, uh, integrated within the community um, and providing you know, good amenities for people. That, that's not inner city high rise apartments. It's, it's you know, more in the other suburbs, in Greenfield Estates, it's, it's your house and land product and, um, and aimed or you aim the key workers or, or people that qualify for affordable housing mechanisms. Um, that, that's certainly something that's you know, on the horizon. It's in the media all the time. It's, it's really at the forefront of everyone's minds at the moment. And uh, I guess we're really excited about those opportunities because I don't think they are um, band-aid fixes. I think they are trying to uh, produce models that work uh, consistently, you know, and, and we'll work consistently over the long term going forward for, for Queensland. Mm. And just, you know, I, I want to now obviously hear from your perspective too, aside from BTR, Build to Rent, what your view is, um, you know, for the Queensland market in the year ahead. Uh, I know we touched on just now, actually, the, you know, construction pipelines that are coming online with, um, you know, infrastructure as well as the property sector um what do you think is in store for the market in uh, in 2024 yeah look i hope it's stability uh, mm. that's what we're all looking for um to be fair we we don't like a hot market we don't like a cold market we just want it all <laughs> nice and stable no, yes. no, no big swings up or down um that that would be that would be nice but i think um yeah with all the uh, you know, without saying the word challenges again, with, with all the um, things that we have to consider in the market, I think, you know, DA-approved sites are mm. going to be very valuable um, to be able to, to a developer and, and a group to be able to bring those to market and get into, uh, get some supply out there. Um, I, I, I think that's going to be um, something that people are going to be holding on to, like those sites, the acquisition's getting harder. So, you know, if you have DA-approved sites, they, they'll be far more valuable, I think, next year to deliver and get into the market. Um, and, you know, there, there is going to be um, a lot of pressure on what's what's coming into the market with the immigration side of things. Yes. Um, and that will, that will I don't think that's going to be solved anytime soon. Um, resourcing is, is still going to be tight. So, look, we're hoping for a steady market, but, um, yeah, there's, I guess there's no uh, no silver bullet um, to, to solve all those issues at the moment. 
No, no, definitely not. Um, I, I, I have been following the migration debate, um, you know, nationally, and there seems to be some calling for a stop to the migration intake. Mm. Uh, but some saying, no, we need the skilled migrants to come in because we've got labor shortages across multiple sectors, you know, in, in, in the economy. So it's a bit like the chicken and the egg. <laughs> so do we have to build the house to get them in? And then anyway, but yes, uh, it, it is certainly been an eventful two years uh that's for sure um it's up and down up and down um well thank you very much to both of you for providing your perspective today i'm sure our listeners and readers are going to be very interested with what's happening in the queensland market and hopefully i have you both back um to the australian property journal talking property podcast next year thanks nelson thanks nelson